We meet today in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 2. This is Paul's introduction to the whole epistle. And someone will say, we're just going to look at two verses. Yes, by the way, these epistles have great wealth and sometimes we would have to take long time to unpack some of the truths that are contained in them. So it is also a wonderful thing to be able to look at only two verses and you may be able to commit the verses to memory and the truths in there are important. So I need to tell you, my friend, Paul's letter to the Philippians is a very practical one. It gets right down where we live. So as we study this epistle, we won't be seated in the heavenly places as we were in his letters to the Ephesians. But now we will be right down here where the rubber meets the road on earth. Yes, it is a wonderful little epistle and we will be enriched by the sweetness of it. So Paul begins, Paul begins Philippians with typical Greek or Roman style of writing letters. So he notes the writer, the recipients, and a greeting. But Paul's greeting is not the standard Greek chirain, but a combination of Greek and Jewish concepts much treasured in the early church. You see, the, the skill of the great teacher, Paul. So grace represents the unmerited favor of God, recently made available to Gentiles through Christ. Peace denotes more than the absence of strife. It is the presence of harmony with God and man. Peace in the Jewish sense is the synonym of life made meaningful through a right relationship with God. The theological order is also significant as well. It is only through grace made available by the shared blood of the spotless Lamb of God that peace will come. That Gentiles have finally been made partakers in this marvelous mystery of God is the prime cause of the keynote of joy sounded throughout the epistle. Early in the third decade of the infant church, Congregations such as this one at Philippi are already organized with bishops or pastors and deacons. So we are going to learn quite a lot coming from these two verses. Philippians chapter 1 verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons. Now let us take time to observe every detail in this face. Paul and Timothy. Now that is Paul associates himself with Timothy. And he brings this young preacher and puts him right beside him, encouraging him. That is called mentoring. He loved this young man, Timothy. He was Paul's son in the Lord, that is, he had won him to Christ, and Paul was very interested in him developing in his faith. You remember, later Paul assigned this man to become a church of the churches in Ephesus. Paul is constantly identifying certain young preachers with himself. Now, Paul's name has come down through the centuries, and everywhere you hear about Paul, 
you will hear about Timothy. Paul was responsible for that. See, he was responsible for bringing him along. Are you making any disciple, my friend? Whenever your name is mentioned, is there someone else who is also remembered because you have been a good disciple maker? Remember, Jesus Christ commanded the disciples and he said, Go and make disciples of all nations. You see, making disciples is not making converts, but it is making followers who will even be able to move along with you. Of course, for the right cause, we make disciples for Christ. If you follow Christ, you will be able to make disciples who follow Christ. I have made it even as, a, as my life purpose, my life statement of purpose, which says, an abiding disciple, making abiding disciples. This is what I see in Paul. He abided in the Lord, and he also made abiding disciples who moved in the Lord. Timothy is one of them. Bond servants of Jesus Christ. Now, another statement comes here. This statement shows that Paul identifies himself and Timothy as the servants of Jesus Christ. Whose servant are you? Who are you serving? Some people may be serving their flesh. Some people may be serving another master. But these ones are the servants of Jesus Christ. And servants of Jesus Christ have the right kind of attitude, the attitude that was in John who said, he must increase and I must decrease. And when you have the attitude, even the mind of Christ, it is the mind that looks at others and considering them better than yourself, who though in the very form of God did not think equality with God was a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and taking the very form of a servant, Paul and Timothy, are the servants of Jesus Christ. And because they are the servants of Jesus Christ, they also get their authority from him. But let me talk about the bond servants. The word bond servant actually means bond slaves. The Greek text does not have the definite article the as in other translations. So it should just be rendered bond servants or slaves, meaning belonging to Christ Jesus. They belonged to him. They were not their own. You see, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God in your body. This is in contrast to his epistle to the Galatians, where he was defending his apostleship. Paul began with Paul and Apostle, but here in Philippians, where the relationship is mutual and that of love, he realizes, I am simply a servant. He did the same thing to the Corinthians. He had to declare and defend his apostleship, and he wanted to let them know that he was an apostle, not of men, neither by men. Even when Paul was an apostle, he, re, he underscored that he was not an apostle of men. No, he was an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He didn't need to defend himself with these Philippians now. We see that he loved them and they accepted his apostleship. It was not questioned there. They had all been led to the Lord by him. So Paul takes a humble place rightful position. Paul and Timothy are both servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. I sometimes uh, 
feel a little bit of pain when I see people who have a congregation and supposedly they are in a wonderful relationship with their pastor. But is the pastor a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ or the people have become servants of this man of God? And there is a tendency to hear people talk of the great man of God, the mighty man of God, the powerful man of God, the wonderful man of God. Nothing of that language is known in the word of God. Even Paul, who had performed outstanding miracles, he never accepted to be recognized as a great man of God, but a servant, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. He belonged to Christ, and thus he remained connected to Jesus Christ, abiding in Christ, so his ministry was effective. My friend, if you are a servant of the Lord, serve him faithfully. Never touch the glory that is due to him. Give him all that is due to him. He must increase. You must decrease. To all the saints in Jesus Christ who are in Philippi. Now, that is another a phrase. Saints here is a technical term referring not to the spiritual elite, but to all Christians. The word means separated ones. Believers are separated in a dual sense, by the way. In, in any case, you must know that you are separated to and then also separated for. Believers are separated from all that is profane and set apart or reserved for God and his use. And then because they are separated from evil, they are morally pure and holy. Paul is not writing to one little clique in the Philippian church. No, he is writing to all the saints and every believer is a saint. That is because God has declared it. It's God's pronouncement that a child of God is a saint. It's not for someone who walks with a long face. It's not for someone who has died. The living believers are the saints. But... Let us highlight also the fact that the human family is divided into two groups, the saints and the ains. Saints are believers in Christ. They are saints not because of their conduct, but because of their position in Christ. Anything that is holy is separated for the use of God. Even the old pots and pans in the tabernacle were called holy vessels and they were probably beaten and battered after 40 years in the wilderness. Yet they were holy. They may not have looked holy, but they were. Why? Because they had been set aside for the use of God. Now that should be the position of every child of God. We are set aside for the use of God. People may not like the way we look. People may even not like our postures or even the voice, our voices. People may not even think we are appreciable to look at. If you are set apart for God, you are a saint. Now, my friend, that is amazing. And that is an encouragement 
especially for me. It encouraged me when I came from a background where I was despised and people did not speak nice words. In fact, I had a low opinion about myself until the word of God came and spoke to me. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Only when I realized that in Christ, God looks at me and he says, you are my child. And I realized that there is no one else like me. And there is no one else whom I am better than or I am superior to. I am second to none and my position as a child of God is I am a saint. Now I am able to speak with conviction. Now I am able to stand before people without paying attention to my outward features. I am a saint. Now friend, if you ain't a saint, then you are an ain't. You better be a saint. And to become a saint is you do so by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Accept him as your Lord and Savior. Invite him to forgive your sins and come into your life and take over. Cleanse you. Put the righteousness of Christ on you as the garment that protects you. The saints are in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to be saved? It means to be in Christ Jesus. I N. When you put your trust in the Lord Jesus, the Spirit of God comes to dwell in you. The Holy Spirit baptizes you into the body of Christ. You are put in Christ by the Spirit of God. Now, these saints were in Christ, but they were at Philippi. You see, what was more important is that they were in Christ, even though they were at Philippi. Sometimes people tend to emphasize their geographical differences more than their position in Christ. They were saints in Christ who were at Philippi. I enjoy it when I meet the saints at Jerusalem, when I meet the saints in Johannesburg, when I meet the saints in Los Angeles, in London. We are all one, first and foremost, because we are in Christ, even though geographically we may be in different places. It doesn't make any difference where you are at. That may not be grammatically correct, but it is a true statement. You may be at Cairo or Cape Town, Harare or Philippi. It won't make any difference where you are at. The important matter is being in Christ Jesus. And I believe that the little phrase in Christ comprises the most important words that we have in the New Testament. What does it mean to be saved? Well, words like propitiation and reconciliation and redemption are all marvelous words. They are all Bible words, but not one of them covers the entire spectrum of our salvation. The Spirit of God chose just one little word, the preposition in, to explain what salvation is. It is to be in Christ. How do you get in Christ? You get in Christ when you accept him as your Lord and Savior. Now, with the bishops and deacons, I would like to call your attention to the fact that he is now addressing a local church which already had officers. So churches must be organized. Bishop means overseer or shepherd. Bishops are overseers, uh, those leaders having the spiritual oversight 
of a local church. Their duty is to nurture, to protect, and to care for the flock of God. From Acts 20, verse 17, 28, and Titus 1, 5 to 7, we see that elders and overseers are identical, the former title being one of status and the latter one of function. Elder simply speaks of status. Overseer speaks of function. But all of them have the same function. So the word bishop actually refers to the office, while the word elder refers to the individual who is in that office. And they should be men who are mature spiritually. Then deacons refers to spiritual men who are performing a secular type of a service, so to say. They are church officials whose responsibilities are mainly administrative in nature. As we saw the apostles in Acts chapter 6, coming up and calling everyone who was there, we should not neglect the ministry of the word and prayer. So let us have men who are full of the Spirit of God to stand at the tables, administrative types of jobs. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 1 verse 2. Now, grace to you and peace is another wonderful phrase here. This is the same almost word for word in all the epistles to teach us that we must not only be shy of forms, by the way, though we are not to be tied down to forms, especially such as are not scriptural. The only form in the Old Testament is that of a benediction, according to Numbers 6, verse 23 to verse 26. We read, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This again is a form. So that word grace to you and peace is a form that was used there. We should not be afraid of it if it is a biblical and if it has meaning. What is not right is to use a form with no meaning and simply throw out religious words that have no connection to a relationship or even a challenge to live in a lifestyle that honors the Lord. So in the New Testament, the good which is wished is spiritual good, grace and peace, the free favor and goodwill of God, and all the blessed fruits and effects of it, and that from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, jointly from them both, though in a different way. Now you will find this form of address in all of Paul's epistles and grace and peace will always be in that sequence. Grace first and then peace following. Why? Grace and peace were both commonplace words of Paul's day. But why arrange them like that? Well, only when grace has been experienced can the peace of God come. Grace was the word of greeting in the Greek world. In the Greek language, it is charis. If you had walked down the streets in that day, you would have had people greeting each other with charis as a greeting. In fact, this greeting is still used in modern Greece. It means grace. 
they say it actually as we say, have a good day or may everything be well for you. And God is saying to you, have a good eternity. When people say to me, have a good day, they don't contribute anything to make it a good day other than just saying it. But when God makes a statement like that, he has also made an arrangement whereby you can have a good eternity. And that eternity is by the grace of God. Have a good eternity. He is able to do so. How? By his grace. Peace always follows grace. It never precedes it. While charis or grace uh, comes out of the Greek world, peace, the Hebrew word shalom, comes out of the religious world. It is the Hebrew form of greeting. Actually, the name Jerusalem means the city of peace. Jerusalem, city of peace. It has never been the city of peace, and it has been a city of war, by the way. Right now, it is a thorn in the flesh of the world. No one knows what to do with Jerusalem. There will never be peace in Jerusalem or in the world until the Prince of Peace comes to rule. But by the way, he will come to rule in Jerusalem, the city of peace. There is, however, a peace that comes to the believer through the grace of God. Romans chapter 5 verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the peace that a sinner can have with the Holy God because Christ died for us. He paid our penalty and now God in his grace can save us. It is not that we bring God something for our salvation. Truthfully, we have nothing to bring to him. I have never brought anything to him except sin. Christ paid the penalty. He paid the penalty for that sin so that a holy God can receive me. And he can receive you, my friend. In a world of turmoil, a world of tension, a world of trial, a world that is filled with things that are wrong, we can know the peace of God in our hearts. This is the peace of God that he gives to those who trust Christ as their own personal savior. We must know the grace of God before we can experience the peace of God. This grace and peace is from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Please notice the relationship and conditions for experiencing the peace and the grace from God our Father. No peace without grace. Inward peace springs from a sense of divine favor, by the way. No grace and peace but from God our Father, the fountain and original of all blessings, the Father of lights, from whom comes down every good and perfect gift, according to James 1 verse 17. No grace and peace from God our Father, but in and through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ as mediator is the channel of conveyance of all spiritual blessings to the church, and he directs the disposal of these gifts to all his members. Now, let me ask this theological question. I think this theological question is important. Isn't Paul a Trinitarian? Doesn't he believe in the Trinity? 
then why doesn't he include the Holy Spirit in that statement when he says, The grace and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Has he forgotten something about the Trinity? He only mentions the Father and the Son. Well, I'll give you the reason. The reason is that the Holy Spirit is already over there in Philippi, indwelling the believers. You see, we are living in the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. He was already there. Certainly, Paul believed in the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he is being very accurate here in simply mentioning the grace and peace of the Father and the Son because the Holy Spirit was already with them and he is with us today. My friend, are you in Christ? Have you trusted him for your salvation? Only then can you be called a saint, one separated to and for God. You can make that decision today, wherever you are right now. Like the father in the story of the prodigal son, God is waiting with his hands outstretched to receive you back home. He is calling you today. Come home, my child. Come home, O sinner. Come home. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send a WhatsApp message or SMS to plus two seven seven two six four one four four seven five. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. I'll repeat that number for you. It's country code two seven followed by 7264144475 from within south africa it's 0726414475